We on? Go ahead and unmute us, Kelly. Because I don't, um, I, I know, I can't hear my guitar. That's the problem. The guitar is muted still. I can't hear the guitar, guys. No, third, third, 32. Everything looks muted to us, just so you know. Good evening, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you. I'm glad you're all here. Let's just, we're going to go ahead and sing while they try to catch up with us. I hope you can hear me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men songs employ while fields and floods rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy repeat the sounding joy repeat, repeat the sounding joy He rules the world with truth and grace and makes a name I hope that you all have a Merry Christmas and you're doing well out there. And I know that all the kids are wondering what they're, they're getting for Christmas. Kids, just so you know, Pastor Eric knows everything. Just so if you want to find out what you're getting for Christmas after you're done, you can ask him. If he doesn't tell you that he doesn't know, that he did, you know, he really does. He loves when I do that. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Joyous strains prolong. What the tiny tree 
going to actually grab a seat as well because I feel like uh, this tonight, what we really hoped is that it would feel like we're just having a, a family gathering in a living room together uh, as we normally do. And um, I don't know kids, as much as Bill said that I know exactly what you're getting, I don't. All I know is what Bill is getting and I believe it starts with Cole. <sighs> so anyway, my hope tonight is that we can just appreciate what this season is about. And I have to make a confession. As a pastor, I've already spent so much time in the Christmas story this year, I'm finding that it has this tendency to feel overly familiar. Anybody else feel that way? I mean, like it's, it's like the, the songs that come on the radio that you've heard so many times. Mariah Carey singing the song that we're not going to bring up or it'll be stuck in our minds. And you don't even have to listen to the words anymore, right? They're just there. They're lodged in your mind. That's what can happen to the Christmas story. Familiarity has this tendency to kind of strip away the, the beautiful nuance of stuff, kind of like a rock that gets thrown into a stream. That rock might have started with lots of jagged edges, and it might have started really dirty, but over time, that rock gets polished by the water as it continues to pass over it, and all of the jagged edges get washed away. And what you're left with is a beautiful, shiny stone, but all of the authenticity, everything that made it unique is kind of polished away. And that's kind of what history, or I'm sorry, what familiarity can do to history. It can begin to polish away the gritty realness, the authenticity of this story that really truly happened. And what we're left with is something that feels more like myth than reality. And if you don't believe me, let me just give you a few examples of what I mean. How many of you kids have one of those uh, nativity scenes in your house? Raise your hand really high and wave it around without slapping your brother or sister next to you if you have a nativity scene in your house. Okay? 
I've, we've got like five of them. And, and what I find is like, for instance, you take Mary, for instance. Every time I look at Mary, she looks like she just came out of the, the salon. Just got her hair done. She looks all nice, like she's going to go to a nice dinner, rather than looking like she just gave birth to a child. Right? And all the mothers in here, you all know that's probably not how you looked. Or, or take the, the, the manger scene, right? We're all used to seeing that little beautiful little thing. It looks like the most serene, perfect backdrop. We tried to recreate it here in the back for us. It always looks so beautiful, like such a nice place. You wish that you could be there so you could take your family photos in front of it. But I'm sorry, I've been in barns before. I've been around where horses and, you know, have been. And I can assure you, that is not a smell that is pleasing to the Lord in there. All right? And yet that's where Jesus was born. Or take a song that is one of my absolute favorites, and it's probably a favorite of yours as well, Silent Night. And I love that song because it, it makes me feel like Christmas is a peaceful, mellow time. Anybody else feel that way? Anytime Silent Night comes on, it's like your heart just relaxes. But think for a moment. Because in reality, Jesus' birth was like the storming of the beaches of Normandy. Jesus... The divine Son of God was entering into our reality to establish a beachhead to try to take back what our spiritual enemy considered to be his rightful property, you and me. And so Jesus' birth, at least from a spiritual perspective, was an all-out war. There was nothing silent about it. And yet, it's so easy for us to just hear this story and think that it's nice and it's mellow and now when can we get to the presence right and so here's my hope tonight my hope is that we can go back to the story that we know so well and we can kind of get rid of the hallmark haze that settled over it so that we can begin to be reintroduced to a story that is really amazing and beautiful and surprising so with that, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, then I would like to offer you to take home the one that's in the seat back in front of you. Or if that one's too beat up because some of them ha have gotten a little dinged up, we would love to give you a brand new one. Because we hope that every single one of you have a Bible of your very own. But tonight, I actually want us to open God's word to the gospel of Luke, and I want us to read a story that we're all very familiar with, but my hope is that it'll begin to take on some of that gritty realness, that authenticity, because the people we're about to read about really lived. They really experienced this. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Most of you are used to starting in chapter 2. That's where Linus began telling the story of Christmas in, in Charlie Brown Christmas. We'll get there in a minute, but I want to back up for just a moment and look at the day that Mary, Jesus' father, found out that she was going to... Jesus' father. Matthew, you got to correct me on these things. Jesus' mom found out that she was going to be a mom. So it was in the sixth month, this is in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. 
It was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was Mary's relative, and so she was going to give birth to John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, which is a town in Galilee, to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. This virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Every time, by the way, that somebody in Scripture meets an angelic being or sees God, they are struck with fear. They're overwhelmed, and Mary feels that way. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. It's really easy to forget that Mary was just a little girl. She was a teenager when the angel went and visited her. It's easy to forget because of how brave she is in this moment. Because rather than saying like Moses did and so many others did, I'm not worthy, why on earth would you possibly come and talk to me? Instead of saying, do you have any idea how this is going to be, you know, this is going to be such an imposition into my already planned life. Joseph and I were already picking out the color of the wallpaper for our house. You have no idea what an imposition this is. Instead of that response, Mary's response is, the Lord's will be done. I'm his servant. Such a... a, a, A brave response. But the part that I really want to lean into in this story of Mary being told that she's going to be a mom is the name that the angel gives her to name this child that she's going to carry. In in Jewish custom, it fell to the father of the child to ultimately determine the name. And since God was the father of Jesus, it was his right to name this child. But it's the name that I want to lean into for a moment. Because the name he picks is what? Kids, you know the name. What's the name? Yes, thank you. I got one of you who's paying attention. What's his name? Come on. Well done. Amen. The name Jesus means God saves. And that's what God was telling Mary and her fiancé Joseph, and everybody else that would come into contact with this child, who would grow into a man, who would ultimately go to the cross, is that he was coming. Through him, Yahweh, God, was going to save his people. But 
The way he was going to save his people and the people he was going to save was slightly different than what they anticipated. Because the Jewish people figured that God was only going to come and save them as a very specific group of people out of all of the other nations. They were the ones that God was going to send the Messiah to save. But this Jesus was coming to save far more than just a small group of people. He was coming to save everybody. Furthermore, the way in which he was going to save them looked really different than what they expected. Because they thought that he would come to throw off Rome. That was the biggest enemy that they could imagine in that day. Rome, this nation that has been basically treating us like we're their servants and telling us what we have to do, that's who the enemy is. But God's idea of the enemy he was coming to overthrow him, the enemy he was going to save them from, was very different than Rome. It was sin, and it was death, and it was this wide gulf that was between humanity and the God that had made them to be in relationship with him. Now, long before Mary found out she was going to be a parent, long before the name Jesus was ever spoken by the angel, this child, the Messiah, was known by a different name. The name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there's a song that I love to sing at Christmas time that celebrates the fact that the Son of God that we now know as Jesus didn't stand far off and try to save us by throwing us a lifeline. Instead, he chose to enter into our reality to come near. He came near then and he is near with us now. And so I want to sing this song, Emmanuel. Some of you know it, and if you don't, you have the lyrics in front of you. I'd love to sing this song as a reminder of the God who has come to be with us to save us. So let's sing together.
Yeah, we can clap for that. Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This is the part that I think you're going to be really familiar with. But I'm really looking forward to kind of peeling away some of the, the paint that we put over this. That patina that covers over the gritty reality of what's going on. Luke chapter 2 verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of Rome, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, the town of David. They call it the town of David, by the way, because that's where David was born. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. You know, I often, and I don't know about you, but I often want to skip over the part about Caesar Augustus, because quite honestly, I'm more focused on learning about a different king than the king of Rome. But, when you think about it, Caesar Augustus played a really important role in the Christmas story, even though he didn't know he was doing it. Because Caesar Augustus decided, as he was looking out over his kingdom, I really want to know just how powerful I am. And so I'm going to tell everybody what to do. I'm going to go tell everybody that they need to go back to the places where they were born so I can count them up, so I can have a good idea of just how important I really am on the world stage. Now, I will tell you that for Mary and Joseph, this was incredibly inconvenient. I mean, Mary is ready to give birth. I remember when my wife was pregnant. The last thing she wanted to do was go anywhere. But Mary had to travel not a couple of miles down the road. She had to travel 90 miles over tough, broken mountain terrain in order to get to Bethlehem, to the place where Joseph was born. Talk about inconvenience, right? And I know that many of us feel like we've been inconvenienced lately. But let me remind you that that ultimatum from supposedly the most powerful person in the world at that time actually played right into God's hands because although it was an inconvenience to Mary and Joseph, it absolutely positively fulfilled what God had known was going to happen all along. Because hundreds of years before, through a prophet, he had said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, in the very town where King David had been born. But Mary and Joseph live 90 miles away. And there's no way that they would have ever chosen to take that really long, arduous journey had it not been for, for Caesar Augustus saying, you have to do it. And so they did. And they wound up in Bethlehem. God used a pagan king to ultimately bring about his purpose and his plans. Caesar Augustus absolutely was a pawn that God used to fulfill his will. 
But if he could make this the most powerful leader in the world ultimately bring about his purpose and his plans, then couldn't he at least have lined up a room for them to stay when they got there, right? If he knew that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem, could he not at least have called ahead and let the Motel 6 let them know that he was coming? Couldn't he have called up, you know, the, the local leader and said, hey, you need to have a room available because I've got some very important people who are going to come and stay with you. Could not Joseph's own family, because let's not forget about the fact that Joseph was born there in Bethlehem. So he obviously had family that lived there. And in the first century Jewish culture, they were incredibly intentional about being good hosts. So you would have expected at least one of Joseph's family members, maybe a cousin, an uncle, an aunt, to say, hey, by the way, we have a spare couch that you can crash on. And we know Mary's pregnant. I think that reminds me, by the way, of just how inconvenient Mary's pregnancy was. The fact that she was not yet married in a culture that most obviously was judging her. So much so that she wasn't even, they weren't even really welcomed into Joseph's extended family. Here's the thing that I'm reminded of as I read this part of the story that it's so easy to gloss over. Not only was Mary's pregnancy with Jesus inconvenient to her and Joseph, but all of the details from a census that led them to Bethlehem to where Jesus was born. Because I don't think it was an accident. I don't think it was that God simply forgot to make arrangements for them. I think that he actually arranged for Jesus to be born in a barn or a stable. It's basically, for those of us who aren't familiar with stables, that's where you would put the, the mule after you'd been riding it. That's where you would put all of the pack mules that had been carrying all of your luggage. In other words, Jesus was born in the first century version of a parking structure. That's where he was born. And when he was brought into this world... Rather than be, being placed in a gold, jewel-encrusted bassinet where he could sleep silently without being interrupted, he was placed in a feeding trough where they would put the hay that the animals would eat. And I think that that was on purpose. Because God was saying through the way that Jesus was born and the place that Jesus was born... That yes, Jesus came from the line of David. Yes, he was a fulfillment of the promise that God had given to David that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom and one would come whose throne would always be established. He was talking about Jesus when he made that promise to King David. But the location of Jesus' birth being a first century parking structure was a reminder to them and to us that Jesus was not simply the Messiah of the well-connected. He wasn't just the Messiah, the Savior of the power brokers and the well-to-do. He was coming to save everyone from the highest king in the biggest palace down to the lowest, you know, nobody. They were somebody to God. They were valuable to God, and Jesus was coming to save even them. I love, there's something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You don't need to turn there, but I want to read this. He said, for you know 
that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So let's take a moment and celebrate the King of Kings who stepped off of his throne and into our broken, sin-warped reality, took off his finery so that he could enter into our poverty, so that he could lift us up because of him and his willingness to come near. Our lives have been incredibly enriched. And let's go ahead and celebrate that now. kids, I got a question for you. In those nativity scenes that you have in your house, I know you've got Mary and Joseph, and I know you've got Jesus in the manger, but who else do you have there? Who are we missing? Who, Grayson? You? Yeah, we're missing Grayson for sure. Jack, who are we missing? Shepherds! We, we, ha we forgot about the shepherds. Let's keep reading, because it's time for the shepherds to enter this picture. Verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And you better believe they were scared. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Do you, do you feel like the angels ever got tired of telling people, would you stop being afraid? You don't have to be afraid of me. 
the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for just a few people. No, that's not what he said. I, 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 I bring good news that will cause great joy for just Jewish people. No, that's not what he said. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, everybody. Because today, in the town of David, right over there in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, God's anointed Redeemer, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts. He's talking about a huge angelic choir that makes even these guys look second rate. A huge company. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying, you can't compete with angels. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I'm sorry. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, say it with me, everybody, glory to God in highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We'll work on that. They practiced a lot. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And these shepherds, they returned to the fields glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and they had seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, kids, I'm a lot like you. I've always read this and just figured the shepherds are a must. Because every time we do a Christmas play, got to have shepherds. Every time we set up a nativity, got to have shepherds. And this is one of those areas where our familiarity wears away the ridiculousness of this scene. Because shepherds were not special people in the first century. Shepherds were not respected people in the first century. Shepherds were not educated people in the first century. The fact that God sends his Son, the Messiah, into the world, and the first people he chooses to tell are shepherds, would be like the most powerful person you can think about having a kid. And the first person he calls to come and visit at the hospital and to meet the baby are like, I don't know, migrant farm workers or, or, or people who clean toilets, or you just, you fill in the blank. Something that the people that pick up dog poop at the park, maybe some of you have to do that. It'd be like him calling you and saying, hey, put down the doggy bag and come and see the baby. It was surprising that God would choose to tell them first, that he would send angels to them first. But yet again, this is a reminder to us. Not only does he choose teenagers from some Galilean backwater that you would never choose to go to to be the parents of the Messiah, but he chooses nobodies who are out in the field because they can't get a real job 
They're not educated enough to do anything but take care of sheep. He chooses them to come and meet Jesus, and they become the very first people to get to go tell the good news to everybody. They become the first witnesses that the Messiah has finally come. This, again, is a reminder to me that Jesus didn't just come for the well-connected. He didn't just come for the in-crowd. He didn't just come for the beautiful people. He didn't just come for the educated people. He didn't just come for the wealthy people. He came for all of us. For those of us who are in here and warm and those who are outside right now trying to figure out where they can find a warm, dry place to sleep tonight, he came for them too. And the message that the angels brought wasn't just good news for the well-connected or the people on the in, on the know. It was good news for those people outside that have no place to sleep tonight. And those people who don't even have a Christmas tree. Those people who won't open a single present. It was good news for them too. And this is something that is really important to me. Because those shepherds, they got to be the ones who got to go tell everybody that the light of the world, the Messiah, had shown up. They got to be the ones who got to spread the good news. And, and you see these candles over here? These are our Advent candles. Some of you guys have been doing Advent where every week you light a new candle and it reminds you of the gifts that Jesus came to bring. So the first candle we lit was the peace candle. It reminds us that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And peace isn't just an absence of conflict. What we learned about this year is that peace is actually a restoration of something that has been broken. And a peacemaker is somebody who helps heal broken wounds. And Jesus was the Prince of Peace, because he came into the midst of a world that is wrapped in conflict. I mean, conflict everywhere you turn. You turn on the TV, you're going to find conflict. You open up any of the news apps, you're going to read about conflict. You leave your children alone for two seconds, conflict. And in the midst of our conflict, Jesus came to restore that which has been broken, namely, God's image bearers, you and me, to be restored back into relationship with him. So he is the Prince of Peace. And the second candle we lit is the hope candle to remind us that our hope is not in our bank account. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in a sports team. Sorry, Marge. Even the Green Bay Packers, that is not the source of our hope. Our hope is in Jesus, the Prince of Peace the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The next candle we lit was the joy candle to remind us that he is our source of joy. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is typically tied to our circumstances. Joy is something that transcends our circumstances. It is a recognition that is because he came, because he has given us the ability to be restored back into relationship, we can find joy in the midst of a world that's full of a lot of pain. And the last candle that we lit this last Sunday was the candle of love. And guys, the fact that he came at all, the fact that he stepped out of the throne room of heaven and into our reality, 
He wasn't born so he could stay a baby, although on Christmas time we think of him as a baby. He was born and he took on flesh so he could ultimately go to the cross and give his life for us to restore us back into relationship with God. That is how he conquered, not with the blood of his enemies, but with his own blood. He conquered sin and death. He broke the chains that keep us separated and in bondage. And it was the single greatest act of love in history. So all month long, we've been lighting these candles to remind us of the first and greatest gift that was ever given at Christmas time. A gift that was given to every single one of us. And that is a gift of relationship that Jesus purchased for us. And typically, we would wait to light that middle candle until tonight with a flame that would probably come out of, I don't know, we have this green lighter we've been using. But for the last four years, instead of using a, a, a match to light it, I've been bringing this really cool lantern that I, I borrow every year from my friends Jeannie and Charlie. And in this lantern is a flame that has come a very long distance. This flame was actually taken from a church that was built in Bethlehem over the site that some people think the area that Jesus was born. They built what is called the Church of the Nativity. And in that church, there's a little cave, a grotto down below in the church floor. And in that cave, there's a lantern that, I don't know, sometime about a thousand plus years ago, somebody lit a lantern and they have maintained that lantern for the last thousand years. They haven't let the flame go out once. They just keep filling it back up with oil and it keeps burning. It burns through storms. It burns through earthquakes. It burns through wars. It burns. It has burned for over a thousand years, over ten centuries. That flame has been burning as a reminder of the light that entered our reality. Sometime about 30 years ago, people started saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of symbolism to that flame. What if we started taking that flame and spreading it around so that when we light our candles on Christmas Eve, we can light it with a flame that's been burning over a thousand years, and we can light it with brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. And so about 30 years ago, some people started sharing the flame first throughout Israel and then throughout Europe. And then it started after 9-11, they started flying it across the Atlantic Ocean out here to America. And it started in New York. And around four years ago, it finally made it out here to the West Coast. And so for the last four years, it's been my honor to get to not just bring this flame for us to light our candles with, but to get to share it with lots of other churches in our city. Because something that's really dear to my heart, something that I want to constantly remind myself of, but remind you of, is the fact that there's not 50, 60, or 50 or 60 churches in Costa Mesa. There's only one church. Jesus is the head of all of us. We're not in competition with one another. We are a family. I can say that we are having a family gathering tonight because in Christ we are family. And the beautiful thing is there's lots and lots of other family gatherings of our extended family around our city and around our country. And many of them are using the very same flame that we're going to be lighting our candles with to light their candles tonight. And that's pretty special to me. But this year I kind of messed up because I got this about four days ago. 
and I forgot to put extra oil in, in my lamp. And within 24 hours, I went to the lamp and the flame was out. Somebody had actually driven all the way from New Mexico out here to, to Orange County to give us the flame. I can't count the amount of hands, probably hundreds of hands, that that flame had passed from. And I had it for less than 24 hours, and I let the thing burn out. Oops, right? I Waymanized it, which is a term in our church. For those of you who aren't familiar, my name's Eric Wayman. To Waymanize something means, yeah, you get the picture. I would imagine, Bill, you don't have to point, they all know. I would imagine that there's some of you who walk in here tonight feeling a little bit like that lamp after the oil ran out. Yeah, at some point, you had a lot of joy in Christmas. At some point, you had a lot of faith in Jesus. And this time of year brought excitement and joy because there was something special about it. Not because of Santa, not because of Christmas presents, but because of the presence of Jesus and the presence of being with family and celebrating his birth. Celebrating what his birth symbolized. That we could be restored back into relationship with God. But, this maybe it's just been this last season. Maybe it's been the last couple of years. Maybe it's been the last couple of decades. But perhaps for some of you, the brokenness of this world and the things that you've walked through, the things that you've seen, the things that you've endured has sucked the joy and sucked the hope and sucked the peace out of your life. And if you're really honest, you walk in here tonight, not with a flame that is burning brightly, but with one that's gone out. And I don't know why, but I suspect I'm talking to several of you in here, probably a lot of you. Maybe it's because you prayed for things and it didn't come to pass the way that you hoped. Maybe it's because you have endured a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of loss, or maybe somebody dear to you or a lot of somebody's dear to you have endured a lot of pain and loss. Maybe it's because your faith has been so smothered by fear that it just feels like there's nothing left. The flame has gone out. I want you to know that you're not alone. There's a lot of us that feel that way this time of year. And I will, I will tell you that when I realized that the flame had gone out, the very first impulse I had was I wonder if I can go upstairs, get the lighter that we use to light our fireplace, come back down here, fill it up and light it because no one's going to know. They're going to know. No one's going to know. Right? I figured nobody would know. How would you know if this flame came from Bethlehem or from a Bic? How would you know? But I would know. And God would know. Not that he is somehow going to be upset if we use a flame that didn't come from Bethlehem, but I would know. And I would imagine that for those of you who come in here pretty empty, you've gotten pretty good at putting on a happy face over a hurting heart. You are doing your best to hold it together. You're doing your best to scrape together the energy to be on because everybody expects you to be on. But deep inside, you know you're not. Your flame has gone out. Your hope has been smothered. Your faith 
has gone kaput. And that's why we're gathering tonight. Not because this is a hoop that we have to jump to before we can get to our Christmas dinner and presents, although maybe some of kids, some of your parents may have told you that. The reason we're gathering here tonight is because it's so unbelievably easy to get so caught up in all of the stuff of Christmas that we miss Christ. We get so caught up in everything else that we totally miss the whole point of this season and we come crashing into December 26th and our house looks like a bomb went off and all of the, the energy that primarily you moms have put into making sure that everybody has the gifts and everything looks nice and stuff, it's all been torn apart and you're just exhausted and you go, man, I missed it again. The reason that we're gathering here tonight is so that we can kind of set our hearts and so that for those of us who feel like our flame's gone out, we can borrow the flame from others for whom it has not. I have one saving grace when this went out. I'd already given it away to a couple of other pastors. So I called up one of them and I said, Jason, you know how I passed the flame to you? Guess what? It's your turn to return the favor. I need to come by and get it. And thankfully, he's like, come on over. And I took the flame from him, and I was able to relight this lantern. And there are some of you in here tonight that despite what you've walked through, despite the season, despite everything you read about, or maybe you're not reading about anything, and that's why, your flame hasn't gone out. If anything, it's gotten brighter. There's some of you who, despite all of the unknowns, you still have a hope that burns brightly. You still have joy in the midst of hard stuff. Because you know, deep down, you know just how loved you are. And so it's really easy for you to love other people. If I'm talking about you right now, you come in here excited for Christmas. And when I read that story, it didn't feel like, oh, yeah, that's just the story we always have to read. Can we please get to the presents? But you were like, man, it means something so much more to me this year than it has in years past. If that's you, can you just raise your hand for a second? I'm really glad to see there's some of you who have your hands up because I need your help. I need your help. There are people in here who don't feel that way, and I need you guys to help me by passing the flame. And so, I'm going to ask those of you who slipped your hand up, will you come up here? I'm going to give you the flame, and then you get to go pass it to some people for whom their flame has gone out. So come on up here. Oh, come on out of here. Come on, don't be shy. Need your help. Don't elbow one another. I know. Hold on, we're going to get there. Come on. All right. I love you, Grayson. Merry Christmas. Yay. Merry Christmas. Okay, go share it with somebody else. Say Merry Christmas when you do, okay? Thanks, man. Just go say Merry Christmas. 
I'm so glad there's a long line of people waiting for the plane. This is excellent. Hey, go pass it to the people sitting down once you got it. Thanks, Jack. You know, one of my favorite, um, I love the symbolism of a flame to remind us of faith. Because here's the thing about a flame. You can give it away and give it away and give it away, and it never diminishes what you have. It's not a zero-sum game. It multiplies. And I can tell you, for those of you who received the flame from someone else, that's a blessing to them as much as it is a blessing to you. I got to sit with a, a couple this week. We're doing premarital, and um, we realized very quickly as we were talking about their spiritual journeys that one of them was ready to kind of dedicate his life to Christ, accept the gift of Jesus' love, and begin to live in a journey with him as not only his Savior, but as his Lord. And, and my wife and I had the honor of getting to pray with this individual who's somebody we've known for quite a while. And not only was it a blessing to him and his fiance, but I'll tell you, it was a blessing to my wife and I to get to be a part of that. It was a blessing to Pastor Jeff. There is nothing that makes Pastor Jeff more excited than somebody who says, you know what, I'm tired of trying to live on my own, by my own strength. I need help. There's nothing that brings him more joy than somebody saying, I need Jesus. And so for those of you tonight who come in and your flame had burned out, perhaps the first gift of Christmas, and in fact, without a doubt, the best gift of Christmas, is a gift that was bought for you 2,000 years ago. When the one who had spoken the world into existence entered into our reality, 
and journeyed towards the cross so that he could purchase our freedom with his own life so that we could be restored back into relationship with our Father. That's the, the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. We can't appreciate Christmas without Easter. And I, I will tell you that watching this dark room get lit up with hope and joy and peace and love that comes from Jesus, this brings me joy. My prayer is that this would be more than just a symbol tonight, that this would, would be proof of something that's going on in here. And guys, Jesus isn't far off. I know sometimes it feels that way. I know sometimes it feels when you look around and you look at your life and you look at the bills or you look at the, the demands of your life or you look at perhaps some of the choices that you've made, it might feel that he's really, really far away, but he's not. He's Emmanuel. He is with us. It's not that he's walked away. It's that we've turned our backs, but he's still right there just waiting for you to turn around and say, I need you. He's not going to hold it against you. He's not going to hold it over your head. He's going to embrace you like the, the story of the prodigal son. This is a story Jesus told to help us to really appreciate how much our Father loves us. You haven't fallen far enough that he would ever stop loving you. Just like those of us who are parents, we never stop loving our kids, even when they make some really poor choices. He loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom. And the gift he wants to give you tonight is relationship. And so there's one last song that I want us to close with. I'd invite you, if you are comfortable, to stand with me. This is a song that's really dear to my heart. It's O Holy Night. Tonight, we are celebrating the most holy of nights, the night that was set apart when our creator entered our reality to, to take us back from an enemy who thought we belonged to him. So let's sing this together as family because in Christ we are family. When Christ was
Father God, we are so thankful that despite our rebelliousness, you didn't give up on us. We are so thankful, Jesus, that despite what it cost you, you willingly came, took on flesh, entered our reality, grabbed a whole bunch of really unexpected people and said, come on, you have a part to play in this. I thank you you use people like Mary and Joseph and shepherds and fishermen and tax collectors even, because if you use people like that, there's hope for us. We invite you to use us as well as we are a people who carry the light of hope, the light of peace, the light of joy and love within us. We carry this flame of faith in you, not in our strength, not in anything but you. And that is what brings us peace tonight. So as we leave this place, I am grateful that we got to gather as family and as we go now and spend time with family, extended family, friends, I thank you that you go with us. May we be people who carry this light with us. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. I am grateful that we get to be family. There are some of you who don't want to blow this out, and that's fine. I got some candles in the back that you can transfer it and bring it home with you. Otherwise, it's not. It's okay to blow it out because it's in here, all right? Have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Love you guys.